Welcome back to the Thought Lounge podcast and to the fourth and final episode of this Thought Lounge session series. Presenting the topic today is Professor of Design Thinking at UC Berkeley, Clark Kellogg, on Listening Without Judgment. Joining in the conversation are Antonio Montalban, Sarah Brazier, Michael Rainey, and myself. For a bio of each guest, you can listen to the first episode of this series. Enjoy! Well, I wanted to go uh, next because I think that um, this has led me, at least, to to a, a launching pad for this topic. And 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 for for those of you who aren't in the room, I am a white man in my sixties, um, and and I didn't vote for Donald Trump, um, but I'm very aware of that. And and uh, it's it's pretty obvious. I often say I'm the am I not the whitest person you've ever seen? <laughs> <laughs> the topic I wanted to uh, launch is is how we might listen without judgment. And I come to this because uh, of the election and of our recent experience of not listening very well. I'm also aware that it's very close to one of the principles of our conversation here. It's very hard to listen without judging. And there's some research that suggests that when we are listening to someone in conversation, while we listen, we're doing one of two things. The first one is thinking what we're going to say next, and the second one is figuring out when we can interrupt. If we erase those two functions, um, something different happens. And the piece of this that I will stop at is the notion of deep listening without judgment makes us vulnerable to having to experience empathy in a very powerful way that, as we talked about earlier, we've abandoned. And I come to this in not as a professor, uh, but as a son, and a grandson, and a husband, and a father, and a grandfather. And the role of, of trying to do this in all of those roles of my life is difficult. So I wanted to throw out for our conversation the idea of how we might learn to listen better without judgment. Yes. Um, so I feel that this, uh, so the last few days, uh, like when, when with a group of friends, when there's like one Trump supporter, like nobody's doing that. <laughs> Everybody's like, you say a word and immediately um, there's a judgment. Um, yeah, so before you even listen, like, you're not really listening to You have your opinion formed, so you're not ready. Yeah. This is, um, I, I, this brings up in my mind a concept that I just heard about called like negative capacity. Basically the idea is how able are you to sit in the unknown and wait and then let patterns emerge without um, without being like it's gonna be kind of a often a very anxious silence, a very tense silence or a very tense waiting. And um, you know, how do you actually practice this and how do we come to value it? There have been lots of studies that say that it, it's one of the most valuable things that you're able to do. It's what people are now starting to look for in the workforce. Um, one of the, 
and, and I don't want to like embarrass you or anything, but one of the reasons that I actually wanted to invite you on the podcast is because when I was, uh, you were my, Antonio was my mathematics professor. And so, you know, when you, when you watch a professor, good professors, they, they model the way that you want to think and like they, they inspire you to think like I could be, I could do that someday. Um, and so what I, what I feel like you do or what I what maybe I was projecting on you doing was when you, when I'd ask you a question or a hard question, you'd never just like, bleh, like right back and like try to think like, Oh, you have the answer immediately. You just, you'd go like, Hmm. And sometimes for a while, you'd be like, <laughs> and then you'd be like, you know, and then you'd model the thinking. You'd go, well, and you'd never be dishonest about what you knew. You never try to make it seem like, hey, I've got all the answers. You'd say, well, we can try this, and then if this doesn't work, then this works. Or maybe this. How could you do this? And um, yeah, maybe it, like maybe I don't know how you. How so you it's true. So in, in mathematics, so by default, we don't put judgments because. That there is an underlying truth, and so we are all trained to. I mean, I, and even when we talk with mathematicians about other topics, I feel it's easier for people not to put judgments because we are used to that. I mean, somebody can convince you with a proof, and there is nothing you can do. So you have to listen, and and you get convinced there is a truth about things. So we are all trained to do that. Maybe um, what he's referring to, like in class or uh, many times. Like, I, I, I ask people to give me an idea of how to do something. And I have one idea in mind, but they throw me a different idea. And I, I mean, usually I want to use their idea. Sometimes you can, sometimes you cannot. So you're like, uh, okay, okay how, how can I transform that into a proof something? Or maybe you're, you're talking about the more office hours of, you have an idea which uh, it probably has something in it and we can figure it out. Uh, so there's a lot of part in mathematics of trying to do that, to absorb something and like not be like, oh no, that's wrong. Like when, when, it's, something, when it's not concrete, when it's like a, an, an, an idea, an intuition, sometimes there are things that are correct about that and you can extract something. I guess that's what you were referring to. Yeah, I feel like that was like what you just said. You said, how do I use what they're saying? to maybe find the answer. And like, that's the mentality that we're talking about, I, I think. Um, and I think taking that breath and, and just letting it sink in is really important. And I'm not always the best at that. Uh, getting back to Clark's framing of this question, uh, I'm reminded of this fellow who went on to become actually the Dean of Education for Trump University. And one of the things he said was that conversation is me waiting for you to stop so I can talk. <laughs> <laughs> And I think many of us fall into that sort of trap, right? Um, and indeed, um, part of what I do with my numbers estimations is I'll ask people to come up with an estimate for a number, and then I'll usually ask them, what would you prefer that number to be? And the ratio of what you think something should be divided by what you think it is is kind of your policy, like something should go up or go down. And when I ask people about things like immigration, uh, often what happens is people have to do a gut check because you really don't have any real sense of what the true immigration rate is to the United States, like the legal rate of immigration as a percentage of the current population. So like if you thought that we were doubling every year, you would think we'd have 100% legal immigration. If you thought we wouldn't even let the next Einstein come to these shores legally, then we'd have 0% immigration. It turns out that people's estimates are really bad. 
But what's interesting is when I ask people to give me a preference, what they often do is they rely on their thinking about who they are, their identity. They'll say, well, I'm conservative, so whatever I thought the number was, it should be less than what I thought it was. Or since I'm a liberal, I think it should be more than what I just said I thought it was. And sometimes you really have to use a sort of disconfirmation logic with them, something maybe Antonio can relate to. Because sometimes we have people who say, I think that legal immigration should be unlimited. And I said, really, unlimited? And they say, yes, I don't think we should restrict any immigration. And I say, so like if five billion people wanted to come to Berkeley tomorrow, you're cool with that, right? And they'll say, oh, no, no, not five billion. And so it's like you're haggling over the price to some degree. But often that, that first knee-jerk is from your sense of identity about what do people like me think, liberals like me or conservatives like me, and that actually shapes your sort of initial preference. Something uh, that, that, uh, that you'd said a moment ago uh, was the phrase negative capacity. And, and it reminded me of something that we work with a lot in our design thinking classes, which we call comfort with ambiguity, which is we, amid the uncertainty of everything, um, we just keep going. And, and, and it's a very discomforting comfort that we try to promote, which is we don't know the answers, and what, what can we do? We can um, keep asking questions. So this notion of the comfort with ambiguity or of not knowing is to me uh, tied into actually a lot of the things we've talked about today. Um, and, and it struck me, reflecting on the election and this issue is, why do we think we have to know? Hmm. I had a thought. Um, about more about listening, about our ability to listen and how do we listen better. Um, and I think everyone in this room, almost everyone in this room has acted as a teacher at some point. I was a middle school teacher. I taught drama. And um, I worked with, uh, I had 16 sixth graders and they were all girls. And they didn't want to do drama. Art was their first pick. So they were all very shy and they were not outspoken at all. And uh, the way I, it was only a semester long class, but the way I taught it is we worked on devised theater, which if you're familiar, or if you're not familiar, devised theater is everybody gets in a room together and we all kind of look at each other. And then we, together, we act as both the producer, the playwright, the director, and the cast. And we build the performance together. And so we did a lot, a lot of ensemble work. Nobody was ever the lead. Nobody had more lines than anybody else. It was a shared performance. And it was a body of sixth grade girls moving as one. <laughs> and uh, we, we used Shakespeare um, so, uh, to, as, our, as our basis to build our performance. Um, and as we worked on it, everyone would block the scene together, and I would just be the eyes and the mirror to reflect. Uh, at the end of every single class, we would analyze by saying, what did we do well? What didn't we do well? And what did we fix for tomorrow? And everybody spoke. And at the end of every performance we did, uh, we had two performances a semester, the day after we would all sit in a circle and everyone would say, 
what they thought about the performance and whether or not they liked it, what they th thought we did wrong in the building of the performance from day one, and how we can improve for next time. And um, so not only did we have to listen to each other, uh, we also had to choose a route to take to solve the problems that we were hearing. And I think um, you, can, you can learn a lot from, from kids like that because they're so eager to please and they're so eager to produce something and produce it well. Can I add one more thing to one? Um, <clears throat> yeah, so the, the other thing about the discussion um, that's happened with these politics, uh, that it, well, in math, like, since you cannot pretend you know anything, you know something, because if you don't know something, it's very clear. In about what happens in government, we know, we all know very little of, of how these policies are going to actually work, how government really works, how it, I mean, we all have an idea, maybe more people, some more, more than others, because you read the news. But actually what we're seeing of what's really is happening is, is very small. So we all have to kind of guess at the rest. And we're not pretending we all know exactly what, how this is going to influence that and how this policy is going to affect it. And we're all kind of making the opinions as if we know what we're talking about. Uh, and we all believe we know what we're talking about. I, 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 I tend to believe I know, but probably I don't know that much. Uh, and that is a problem also. because. Because then it's very easy to, uh, for somebody to argue the opposite way because you know at this, soft, like this small, small window of what's going on that you just see from another window and then it's very easy to disagree. I think it's important to remember that civics doesn't, doesn't begin and end with the federal government and that being a citizen is a daily choice instead of being a consumer or being complacent. I think that social media makes us really complacent. I think that um, the the vagueness of federal government makes us really complacent. And I think it's really important um, that we dig in to what we know, which is the person sitting across from me. Part of, I think, the problem is that what makes us think we know is, in cognitive science, called confirmation bias. Mm -hmm. uh, that is, that we tend to recruit new information that will support the hypotheses we already have. and. It's very difficult for people to engage in a, a disconfirmatory moment where you try to actually see if your theory might be incorrect, to sort of push the boundary conditions and so forth. And I think that's part of the political polarization that we have. And also part of the difficulty is that gaining really discriminative information is expensive. Uh, you know, even though Google makes it a lot easier to find out the fact of the matter. So if you're next to someone in a bar and he or she says something that you think is just false. You know, today we can do that, but, and it's a lot easier than when we had to go to an encyclopedia or something like that. <laughs> but still that move to actually find that evidential bit that can tell you whether or not your pet theory is true or not is something that we don't do because we have very busy lives and you can only do that so often. You'd never get out of bed in the morning if you had to like have a fully coherent knowledge base, you know, all the axioms being true with all the possible conclusions in, in a mathematical sense. Yeah, and I'm referring to something like increasing 5% tax on grants which are of this or whatever type. It's very hard to have an opinion on that if you're not super well informed or if you're not an insider. And then we have to vote on <laughs> whether we want that to happen or not. And 
Yeah, we make an opinion, I guess, somewhat. <laughs> but a problem that's sort of a corollary is a lot of people think that people will just believe what they want to believe, that new information does not move them. And that is completely false. That was actually a thought about global warming, that uh, there's one fellow that thinks that new information won't change people's minds. And we've disconfirmed that like over a dozen times, that new information does change the mind. Though. No matter how fidelitous you think that your lover might be, if you come home and that person's in bed with a mail carrier, you become an empiricist <laughs> rather quickly. You, know. you could still be a rationalist. You could say, well, maybe I'm hallucinating this. Or perhaps they were just trying to change a light bulb and somehow fell into that mm. position. You know? <laughs> but no, most of us are empiricists. When you actually see the information that is discriminative, we, uh, we glom onto that and we, we treasure it. And you know, it's more likely to do that when you're buying a house because you know, there's a lot of money on the line than if you're just spouting off in a bar. Any concluding thoughts on your topic? I've enjoyed listening to this. <laughs> and uh, I, I think the only summary idea, Axel, that I would have is uh, it's that our, as you put it, Michael, our confirmation bias is so, so strong. Um, and I, I guess what I think about all of that is yes, that's all true. And uh, it's unfortunate that we are built this way because it tends to reinforce the, whatever corner we sit in. And, and I think that the, uh, the great bounty and, and joy of, of a robust life is to, is to see and feel and interact with the things that aren't just like us. That was Antonio Montalban, Sarah Brazier, Clark Kellogg, Michael Rainey, and myself on Listening Without Judgment. Presenting the topic today was Professor of Design Thinking at UC Berkeley, Clark Kellogg. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thought Lounge podcast. We look forward to seeing you back here next week for the first episode of our brand new We Need to Talk series, where we'll bring together six diverse people from farmers to academics to activists, from Italians to Latinos to Pacific Islanders, from conservative to liberal, from gay to straight to trans, to ask and answer the most disquieting questions of our time and take steps toward breaking down the wall of the other. Our mission is to foster the practice of intentional, in-person dialogue within ourselves and our communities, in which we suspend initial judgment, practice equity of voice, listen to each person as if they're the most important person in the world, speak authentically, and recognize that creative conflict is good. For more information, visit thoughtlounge.org. And until next time, good thinking always.